Uh, today is, uh, in addition to just being a regular worship day for us, it's also the day across the country uh, where men and women are celebrating what we call the sanctity of life. Two founding partners of this congregation, uh, Tom and Marion Racine, uh, many, many years ago experienced their daughter, who at the time was not married, came to them and said, told them that she was pregnant and that she was considering having an abortion. And this video shares their story. Okay, taking orders. It's a typical get-together at the home of Marion and Tom Racine. Many generations gather under this roof. It's noisy, it's laughter, it's teasing one another. Um, the kids are running around. But I love seeing my family together, I just do. It's a big family, larger than they envisioned when they married 57 years ago. Well, I came from a family of two, so I figured probably we'd have two children. <laughs> when everyone is present, the Racine's number 39. Heather is one of the later additions. At 10 years old, Heather is Tom and Marion's first great-grandchild. And yet, she and her father, Charlie, are part of the Racine family tree that almost didn't exist. I was in college at Sacramento State, and I wanted to be a nurse. Sue is the Racine's eldest daughter. I was just scared to death because it's the first time I've ever been away from home. And so learning all those experiences, being on my own, um, was very scary for me, and I was just a very shy person. I guess I discovered uh, maybe after six months or so that um, guys were starting to pay attention to me. One guy in particular caught her eye, Bob McMenemy. They dated for a while. Then Sue became pregnant. I didn't want to disappoint my parents. I was scared to death of what my parents would say. And so I felt like I needed to do that, you know, have an abortion and, and move on with my life. But before she did, a friend compelled Sue to tell her parents about her plan. Bob joined her. They told us together that Sue is pregnant, but not to worry because there would be an abortion. It hit me like a bomb. I was extremely upset, very angry with her and with the two of them. Marion actually, after a long time in the conversation, turned to me and said, Tom, well, aren't you gonna say anything? And I said, yes, there will be no abortion. Was... <laughs> wow. The prospect of an abortion is as painful to Tom today as it was back then. He and Marion, both devout Christians, raised their kids in the church, and they could turn to their church in search of support, advice, counsel. But Marion noticed that Sue, filled with fear and shame, had no one to turn to except for them. So she and Tom stepped up. Our daughter was in trouble, you know, and there's just a lot of confusion going on. And we just moved, decided to, just to move in alongside of her. That wasn't even an issue, not even a question. She did say to me, um, well, you know what the scriptures say, and you know what we believe, and you know what the truth is. But um, whatever you decide, we're not gonna judge. You know, that was true love that my parents showed me. 
true Christian love. It made me feel like I wasn't alone, that they weren't going to abandon me. In an environment of support, Marion and Tom spoke to Sue about other options, specifically adoption, and also workable scenarios in which Sue could raise her child. Soon, the impossible seemed possible. Empowered, respected, loved, Sue made a different decision. She would have and would raise her baby, Charlie. I felt this tremendous relief after I made that decision, and yes, I believe it was truly my decision. She also decided to accept Bob's marriage proposal. The entire experience changed Sue's life, but altered Tom and Marion's lives as well. A baby was born, but also a seed had been planted deep down in Marion's heart. My daughter had us, a family that surrounded her, and our whole family surrounded her. But what about other women out there that didn't have families that would surround her? I realized that there weren't any places in the Bay Area where a young woman could go and talk to someone that really cared, that would listen, that would not judge and be critical. And there weren't really any at that time. So Marion and Tom decided to create such a place, along with a dedicated group of Christian friends. They had little money, but a lot of faith, which ultimately paid off in 1981 when the Crisis Pregnancy Center of Santa Clara County opened its doors in Mountain View. It was staffed by volunteers who offered young women the same love, support, and options that Sue received from her parents years ago. The big thing that I really wanted to get across was that how much God loves them, how much Jesus is there for them, and can help them with a new life. It'll be a different life, but a new life. It's the foundational message that set apart and flourished CPC, which changed its name to Real Options in 2010. Today, there are four clinics across the Bay Area, which offer a full range of medical services, including ultrasound, and prenatal care. There's STD testing, educational outreach at high schools and colleges, on-site adoption services, and post-abortion healing. To date, more than 100,000 women and men have been served. Among them, Sue's son, Charlie. I knew someday I wanted to get married and have kids. Um, didn't lay it out year by year. You know, and it, you know, that, that snuck up on me. It ended up happening before I had planned it. At 26, Charlie found out that his girlfriend was pregnant. She panicked, and she was very strongly abortion-minded. Um, didn't know what she was going to do. Knowing what my history was and how I was conceived, um, even though my parents didn't plan it at the time, if they had made the other decision, well, I wouldn't be here. And so I'm thinking about that for my own child, Charlie wanted the baby, but his girlfriend had questions. So Charlie took her somewhere to find answers, real options. The very organization launched by his own grandparents more than three decades ago. She went in and um, on her first visit, she saw the ultrasound. Well, she hadn't seen the ultrasound before. And we got a picture to take with us, it was amazing. And that was a turning point. If real options wasn't available, at the time when this was going on, I don't think that I would have a daughter today. In this way, Charlie says, 
He's a two-time beneficiary of his grandparents' legacy of love. If my grandparents didn't support my parents, if my dad didn't step up the way that he did, I wouldn't exist, my parents wouldn't be married, my brothers wouldn't exist, their families wouldn't exist, Heather wouldn't exist. It all goes away. What a wonderful gathering we have here today. Lord, thank you so much for everyone here. Thank you for this food you provided. And please bless the food to our needs in our time of fellowship. To your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. While Marion and Tom have retired from real options, they sit at the helm of their loving, ever-growing family. A new baby, due in November, will bring the headcount to 40. And each day, they still marvel at how an unexpected crisis birthed such personal blessings and also a legacy that continues to grow well beyond their own family tree. Never in my fondest dreams did I think of something like this, and, and it brings tears to my eyes when I think of how God is so faithful. There's so many children that are now born that will have a huge impact in the world, in this nation. You just don't know what's going to happen with that child. God does. I always say that it is, you don't like to be used by anybody. But to be used by God, by God is a tremendous blessing. <laughs> yes. And He used us. Yes. And we thank Him for it. Mm-hmm. Let me just point out three very significant things about that story. Inside of our uh, urging to choose life, the first significant thing is really in what Sue says that her mother Marion told her. It's, it's not often heard, particularly in Christian communities, this particular aspect. Sue said that her mother said, you know what we believe. You know what the scriptures say. But whatever decision you make, we're not going to judge you. We're going to love you. That is the posture of God towards all of us with his unconditional love. And that was a remarkable expression of that unconditional love. Can we just give God a hand praise for that? I just thought it was outstanding. And by the way, that's the kind of church we try to be. You know what scripture says. You know what we believe. And I'm sure Mary and Tom would have said, if you make this other decision, our hearts are going to be crushed because God's heart is crushed often with decisions we make. And yet we are assured of God's unconditional love. We try to proclaim that as we talk to God, teach the gospel here. The second thing that I want to point out very quickly is that our choices do have consequences. Sue ultimately made the decision to have Charlie. And a generation later, When he found himself standing in the same place, he could look back to the legacy that gave birth to him. And he and his, uh, the young lady, made the same decision. And now three generations have been impacted because Sue chose life. Can everybody shout, choose life? And And the third thing, yeah, celebrate that. Go ahead, celebrate that. That's good news. And the third and final thing, is that out of that episode, how God works, he basically showed Marion 
the way you loved your daughter is how I want to love everybody. And out of that has come real options. And 100,000 people later, including adoption services and ministry to those who've already had abortions and just need to know about God's love and grace. First time we're in a third week of a series that we have entitled Divine Direction. This series really picks up a major question that we're struggling, working with. How do I know what God wants me to do? Because we're convinced that if we can live lives shaped by God's direction, we will live deeply meaningful lives which outpack there and the, and, the, and the impact of those lives will far outlast our time on the planet. So if you are able, please stand on the reading of God's word. We've been focused on kind of the summary of this life of Moses in Hebrews chapter 11. And we want to start our reading at verse 24. And what I'm saying is that God meets us in the decisions that we make. And he directs us more often than not through those decisions. And as we read through these verses, I want you to note we're working through the decisions that Moses made and how God worked through him. So let's get started. Everybody shout. It was by faith. It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, is the first decision he made, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. The second decision, he chose, shout, he chose. To share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasure of sin. Here's why he made that decision. Shout, he thought. He thought, he considered it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking ahead. Shout, looking ahead. To his great reward. Can you say amen? amen? Amen. Please be seated. God just have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, as we have uh, been teaching for the last several weeks, that if you want to know where God is at work in your life, or where God could be at work more in your life, pay attention to the intersection between your decisions, because divine direction often takes place at the intersection of our decisions. Another word I want to use for decisions today is the word choice. God tends to lead us, or he can lead us, at the intersection of our choices. One of my favorite movies is uh, entitled Indiana Jones, all-time favorite movies, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. And if you know anything about that movie, that's Harrison Ford and... and um, uh, Sean Connery are the main stars in that. And the whole movie is about a pursuit uh, to, dis- to find the Holy Grail. You know, the Holy Grail is the, uh, is the cup that Jesus used at the Last uh, Supper. And it is uh, suggested that one of the disciples, when Jesus was dying from the cross, uh, caught some of the blood that Jesus shed. In that cup came the Holy Grail. And so this is a great movie full of religious imagery and humor and adventure. It's just my all-time favorite movie, one of my all-time favorite movies. And, and, and the, one of my favorite scenes is that Sean Connery, who's playing uh, Indiana Jones' father, 
has been shot. He's lying on the ground. He's bleeding, uh, bleeding out. They are just outside this cave that contains the Holy Grail. Indiana Jones runs into the cave to get the Holy Grail. But when he gets there, the entire back wall is full of all kinds of cups. He's got to figure out what's the best, what is the, the true one. And then there is in that cave, a cabin rather, uh, the night of the Holy Grail. And this, this somber looking fella uh, is looking at him. And you know, the music is intense. The moment is holy. And, uh, and, and you know, everybody's on tip-top anticipation. And, and, and this gentleman uh, looks at uh, Indiana Jones and he says to him, Choose, but choose wisely. And then he goes on to say, if you choose the true grail, it will give you life. But if you choose the false grail, it will take life from you. As I think about that movie, I'm like, wow, what a great kind of image for us to take into uh, the decisions and the choices that we make from time to time. In fact, uh, it's just helpful for me to remember that God is often sitting at the intersection of your decisions and my decision, and God is whispering to us, choose, but choose what? Here's how Paul talks about it in Ephesians uh, chapter 5, verses 17 through uh, 15 through 17. Here's what he says. He says, so be careful how you live. The literal translation of that is be careful how you walk, how you step, meaning the choices that you make that shape your life. He goes on to say, uh, not as unwise, but as wise. Everybody shout wise. The theme here is about wisdom. And then he, then he says, make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. And here's what he's saying. Whenever you're presented with an opportunity to make a choice that's going to shape your life, make the wisest choice. Make the most of every opportunity. Don't be seduced. Here's an insight. Very quick insight. If you and I learn to hear the voice of Jesus in our small choices, we will be able to recognize the voice and the leading of Jesus in big choices. So he says, therefore, don't be foolish. Tell the person next to you, don't be foolish, don't be foolish. Tell them. Don't be foolish. Don't be foolish. And if you're sitting by your spouse, you know you wanted to say that anyway, so this is good. <laughs> he says, but, shout but. But, uh, understand what God's will is. Here's the summary of the point that he's making. If you want to know what, what is God's will, when you're standing at the intersection between choices, Here's what Paul is essentially suggesting. He is essentially saying that God's will and the wise choice 
is often the same thing. Another way of saying that God is standing at the intersection of your and my choices. And he is saying to us, whatever the choice, choose. You're free to choose. But choose towards wisdom. Choose wisely. Now, I thought about this and I, I want to illustrate. I, I think that oftentimes, or rather, should I ask the question, you know, why, why is it, I've asked myself, why is it so hard for me to make certain choices in life? And why is it so hard to discern sometimes? We think, we ask the question, what God wants us to do. And I think that most of the time, it is not as hard as we actually suggest that it is. Here's why. Typically, when we come to a choice, we, we have, on the one hand, what I, everybody shout I, what I want to do. And then we have, on the other hand, what I, everybody shout ought, what I ought to do. So on the one hand, we know what I want to do. And most times, shout most, you and I know what we ought to do. The problem is, we know we ought to do it, but we want to do this. We ought to do it, but we want to do this. We ought to do it, but we want to do this. We ought to do it, but we really want to do this. We want to die. And suddenly, right here in this middle base here, we say, oh my gosh, I'm so confused. Like, God, will you really help me? But you're not confused. You just don't want to do what you ought to do. And what Paul says is that most times what I ought to do lines up with what is wise. Let me tell you a story. This is illustrate the point. Just kind of straight out of my life. A little while ago, I was trying to make a decision. It was going to be a decision shaped around generosity, which is one of my values. And it was actually going to be, uh, it would have been a blessing to someone else. But I wasn't sure whether or not I should make this decision. Should I do this? So I talked to my wife. And I said, baby, here's the deal. Da, 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 da. What do you think I should do? My wife says, well, you know, you kind of, you know, if you want to do it, you can I don't think it's wise. Here's why. So I would say, no, don't do it. But if you want to do it, do it. I said, okay. Then I got on the phone and called about four or five of my friends around the country and said, you know, here's what I want to do, so forth and so on. What do you think? Every one of them said, well, if you want to do that, you can. But I don't really think that's wise. So if you're asking me, I would say, no. I said, oh, okay, thank you. Then I picked out four or five people around that I trust around here at church, a couple of elders and so forth and so on, and I said, hey, what do you think about, uh, and I explained to them, and every one of them said, well, if you want to do that, okay. But I don't think it's wise. So if you're actually asking me, I would say, no. 
And not too long ago, I'm walking and talking to God. Sometimes I walk and pray, I walk and pray. So I was walking, you know, sometimes people see me walking the street and I'm walking and praying. They think I'm walking and talking to myself. So it's like, you know, avoid him. But anyway, I, I, was, I, was, I was walking and praying and I was so upset with God. I was like, God, why won't you tell me what to do? You know that I really, really want to do the right thing. How come, can't you just give me a confirmation? Somewhere came the whisper. <laughs> Did you hear the ten no's? <laughs> you see, the point was not that I did not, I mean, the, 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 the wisdom, I didn't need a supernatural experience. I didn't need God to speak over the loudspeaker and say, Herman, here's what I want you to do. Well, God confirmed through the voice of wisdom repeatedly. As a matter of fact, Scripture says, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let it be confirmed. The problem, shout problem, was that once I figured out what I ought to do, I didn't like it. I didn't like it. And I was trying to get God to validate what I wanted to do. And I dressed up what I, I did not intentionally, but at the end of the day, I kind of I dressed up what I wanted to do so that I thought it would be appealing to God. But how many of you know that God is smarter than we are? How do you know that? <laughs> I had to struggle with what I ought to do. All right. Now, I've backed into this, this passage about the teaching of Moses. Because Moses is going to give us an insight in this decision that he makes that, that we need to, in a sense, use as a lens to think about what is the norm by which we make most of our decisions and ask ourselves, are we making the kinds of decisions that allows God, are we listening to God as he directs us? Now, verse 24 begins with this notion. It actually starts with verse 24. It starts off by faith. Everybody shout, by faith. By faith. In other words, out of Moses' trust for God, that's his notion for trust, out of his trust for God, he started to make a series of decisions. We talked last week about the first decision, refusing to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Today, verse 25 begins here. He chose, everybody shout, he chose. Now watch what the Hebrew writer does as he really summarizes the totality of Moses' life with this, this notion, this norm of his decision-making. Here's, here's, here's how he describes it. He says, he says that Moses chose to share the oppression of God's people. Can you say suffering? Can you say pain? Can you say affliction? That's right. He chose that instead of enjoying the fleeting, the temporary pleasures of sin. And if you ask why he did that, well, part of why he did that, uh, there's a two-part reason. Uh, the second part of why he did that is in verse 26. Notice how verse 26 ends. Uh, uh, it, it ends here. It says, for he, Moses, was looking ahead. Shout, looking ahead. He was looking ahead long term, looking ahead long term to his great reward. 
Now, here's what the writer is, here's what the Hebrew writer is trying to teach us as he, as he frames this notion of Moses' life and, and, and the major decision that defines his life. Here's what he's trying to teach. The fleeting pleasures of sin, everybody shout sin. sin. That word sin means to miss the mark. Mark, meaning that God has a target that he wants your life to hit. He has a purpose in every season that he wants your life to live out. And it might be the case that sometimes, in some seasons, we're not really clear about that target. But oftentimes, in seasons, we do know what God wants us to do with our life. And what the writer is saying is, if you know what God wants you to do with your life, and you choose to do something different, because it's easier because pleasure, shout pleasure, means fun and enjoyment because it's, it's more fun, it's more enjoyable, it's, it, it, it doesn't cost you anything. Uh, the, the text calls that sin. And what he's reminding us of is that Moses had been adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. He was in line to become Pharaoh. It was an easy, enjoyable choice for him to simply say, I'm going to ignore the fact that I know that I'm Hebrew. I'm going to ignore the fact that I know that God has called me to the hard and painful and extraordinary work of being a deliverer of my people. I'm going to ignore that fact and I am just going to enjoy. I'm going to live life plus in power and prestige and wealth. And he could have made that decision. But the Hebrew writer said that would have been enjoying the temporary pleasures of sin. But Moses decides to make another decision that brings him in contact with pain and affliction. All right. Here is the, here's, let's write these inside. Here, here it is. One of the reasons it is difficult for us to choose to do what we ought to do, one of the reasons it's difficult for us to choose oftentimes to do the wise thing is because oftentimes, even if you're not a Christian, this is true, just follow me, oftentimes the wise thing entails difficulty and pain. Oftentimes, the wise thing is costly, emotionally, sacrificially. And so we rather forego doing the wise thing because we don't want to shed any tears. We don't want to hurt. We don't want to be pained by it. We, 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 we want to do what we want to do. We rather choose what feels good to me rather than what is good to me. We rather choose what's easy for me rather than have to go through the pain and the difficulty. You see the point? All right. So here's the principle that Moses lays out for us. He models it. Moses teaches, be willing. If you want to allow God to direct your life, you have to be willing to choose short-term pain that will ultimately open up to long-term gain. And what Moses is saying is that this has to be a discipline in how you live your life. 
and that you don't have to get it right 100% of the time, but when you look back at the choices that you make normally in your marriage, the choices you make normally as a teenager, the choices that you make normally when it comes to your money, the choices that you make normally when it comes to how you treat your health or your, or your, or your exercise, that, that when you look at the choices that you make normally, it ought to line up with a willingness to choose short-term pain for long-term gain. But, somebody shout, but, often for time for us, we have turned into an art, the discipline of choosing first short-time fun, short-time gain. I want it now, I want it free, and <laughs> most things that come right now and free, you don't really, really want it. You think you do. It's like Burger King. Somebody say, I like Burger King because they have a slogan, have it your way. And I say, that's cool. But are you ready to handle the indigestion that comes after? <laughs> All right. So most of the time, we are tempted to choose short-term gain, the fun, the enjoyment, what he calls temporary pleasures of sin. And most time, that opens up to long-term pain. And we wake up in the midst of long-term pain, and we say, how did we get here? Look at your pattern of choices. Notice, here's a quick insight. Your pattern of how you make your choices reveals what path you're on. So if you let me look at the last 15 or 20 choices that you have made about your relationship or the folk that you date or the last 15 or 20 choices you've made about your educational pursuit, I can pretty much tell you where you are headed towards. Your pattern, shout pattern, reveals your path. Now, let me give you some real concrete examples so that we can make it real. All right, shout short-term pain, long-term gain. This is basic principle. You're the college student. You're in college. You're male or female. Your friends every other night are coming to you and they're saying, look, there's a party. Let's go party. We're going to hang out till about 12 o'clock. We're going to do this. Gonna do that. But you've, 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 you've got an a, 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 a organic chemistry the class is just really whooping you back. You say, no, I'm sorry. I got to do my, I got to stay and study. A couple of nights later, they come back and say, hey, 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 we've got, we're going to go over to our friend's house. We're going to play video games and so forth. We're going to have a really great time. Why don't you just come? And you say, no, I've got an e-com 102 and I just. And so now days turns into weeks and weeks turns into months. And for the most part, you're making this kind of decision over and over and over again. And you're waking up finding yourself walking through halls where you hear people partying and you're on the way to the library. And when you get to the library, nobody in the library but you. Shout short-term gain, short-term pain. Now watch this, shout long-term gain. Fast forward seven, eight years. And you've graduated. 
and you've worked through what you needed to. Now you've got a job, you're making really good money. And look up some of the folk who are partying night after night after night after night. Some of them dropped out, some of them stopped. They had all kinds of problems that happened in their life. But here you are, you got a great job, you got a salary. And guess what? You can pay video games and have a party in your own house. Shout long term gain. This is basic principle, basic principle, basic principle. Let's, let's, let's look at it another way. Let's say you're a husband or a boyfriend, and you hear the dreaded words that often husbands or boyfriends hear from their wives or significant others. Baby, we have to talk. <laughs> you, you know, so you're exiting your way to work. And so now, as it comes toward the end of your job, the work day, you get to make a choice. Do I choose short-term pain and go home and have the conversation where I've got to be honest, I've got to be open, I've got to be thoughtful, I've got to be sensitive and all of that? That might open up the long-term game where our relationship will improve as we move forward or do I choose short-term gain? I'm just going to work. I'm going to stay working till night so that when I get home, she sleep. And when I, when, I, when I leave in the morning, she sleep. Come on. And, and, and I'm just going to keep avoiding it, avoiding it, avoiding it, avoiding it, avoiding it. Your pattern reveals the path that you're on. You get to choose. Short-term Pain. When I say short term, I mean seasons. If I shout seasons, sometimes short term pain can be months. Sometimes it can be years. My wife and I always brag about my wife and I marriage. I am super blessed. We've been married for thirty one years, and uh, yeah, celebrate that. Praise God. And I always talk about. You know, just we, I could give tons of stories of just how we enjoy each other, uh, company, enjoy being with one another, make time and space for each other. We just have a ball. But that's, that didn't just happen. See, ask me about the first 10 years. Right? The first 10 years, I can tell you that, that you know, <laughs> Every other month, I, I, I'm sure she, she was awaking, asking the question, what was I thinking when I married him? What was I thinking? At least two or three times a, a year, I, I, I woke asking the same question. I must have lost my mind. Come on. You know, after the first 10 years, I can't tell you, I, I, there were many times when we, we decided to do the right thing about each other, not because we felt that the other actually deserved it, deserved it, but because ultimately we had a higher commitment to God. And since we had given our word to God and before God, we decided we we're going to keep working at it and keep working at it and keep working at it. But that was tears. That was pain. That was a season of short-term pain. Ten years, a whole decade. But I got 21 years of blessing. That's how that works. Now, the same writer in Hebrews says, I want you to stay fixed here because I'm trying to apply this principle, short-term gain, 
long-term, short-term pain, long-term gain. And, and what he's saying is Moses looked ahead and saw. Watch this. He goes to Jesus in chapter 12 of verse 2, the same writer. He's, 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 re, he's reinforcing this principle. And here's what he says. He says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Who for the joy that was set before him. Come on, that's, that's the, that's the long-term goal. But watch what he has to go through in the short term. Endures the cross and, the, and, 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 and scorned its shame. But then he comes out saying, but Jesus comes out on the other side, able to sit on the throne of God on the right hand of his father. He's teaching the same point. Do the hard stuff, usually wisdom calls us to do the hard stuff first, then comes the reward. Now, let me, let, me, let me push it a little further. For some of us, the short-term pain that God calls us into lasts an earthly lifetime. And we don't know the glory part until we get to eternity. Right? That, 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 ask uh, Dr. King. And we talked about it last week, the last 12 years of his life was suffering and, and, and pain. And in his last speech, he says, you know, I've seen the mountaintop, but, but I may not get there with you. And he didn't get there with the nation and with us and with the people. Uh, and yet, I assure you that whenever you attach your life to God's eternal purposes, it will pay off. I can only imagine what he must think as he looks beyond the banisters of eternity. I bet you he declares it was worth it. Ask Therese, Mother Teresa, who, who gave her life to suffering alone with suffering people. The long night of the soul she experienced, talked about how she felt cut off. But ask her now, uh, across the annals of eternity, I bet you she will say it was worth it. Because from that vantage point, she sees what God did with her investment. So what's the teaching of this? What is the teaching here? That, 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 that if I can learn to hear God, sense God's leading in small things, I can sense his leading in big things that if I can stop running from difficulty, God can do some marvelous things through my life. Uh, let me close it here. The last point is you want to make sure then if that's going to work for you is that you want to choose God's values over the world's values. Everybody shout God values. All right, put, put notice, notice verse 26 in the NIV version. Notice, notice how, 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 how the writer talks about it in the NIV. He says, he, Moses, regarded disgrace or suffering for the sake of Christ. Well, so Moses lived long before Christ. What the writer is saying is that whenever you suffer for the cause of God, at the end of the day, all of that is rolled up into identifying with what Jesus ultimately did on Calvary's cross. All right? Uh, for the cause of Christ, as of greater value. Shout greater value. 
So his greatest value was to be faithful to God, and that shaped his life. Now, if you read the, the three or four verses, uh, starting from verse 23 all the way through, here's what you're going to find out. The world's values are there. Number one, uh, you'll, you'll find a, a, a reference to popularity, which includes power and prestige. Uh, that's, that's what Moses says no to when he says, don't, don't, don't count me as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Number two, you'll find this notion of pleasure when it talks about the pleasure of sin, the temporary pleasure of sin. Number three, you'll find this notion of possessions when it talks about Moses says, I will not, uh, I'm going to give up owning the treasures of Egypt. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not suggesting that it's something wrong with being wealthy and having lots of possessions. Abraham and Sarah were among the most wealthy people on the, on the planet. But what I am saying is that you should not allow your possessions to possess you. That can't be the end goal of your life. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that there's something wrong with being popular and prestigious and powerful. Joseph was popular, prestigious, and powerful. But, but, but that wasn't his destination. That was his responsibility. So the point is, if you got power, you got prestige, what are you doing with it? He used his power to feed the hungry, to elevate those who were in trouble. How are you using your power, your prestige? I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having fun, guys. I mean, I'm having fun now. Can't you tell? I'm having a ball. I'm, what I'm just saying is that you can have a ball and you don't have to be taking shortcuts with your destiny. That's what I'm saying. Again. So, here's where I end. But it begins with saying my highest value is for God. That's what the writer in Deuteronomy says. He says, God declares, I put before you today the choice between life and death, blessings and curses. Oh, that you would choose life. And verse 20 says, here's how you do that. You love the Lord your God. You obey him. And you give yourself firmly to him, and that begins to regulate the rest of your life. Now, out of that, here's the deal. You need to constantly ask yourself the question, how do I want my story to end? What do I want my story to be told? Now, let's go back to Tom Racine and his daughter Sue. She made a tough, painful, tear-fear decision. But look at the story we told today. Think about her son. Charles, who he and his girl made a tough, painful decision. But look at the story we told today. I uh, visited with my mother, my birth mother. You know, she made two decisions that was transformative in my life. First, when I was born, the youngest of her four children, because it was a horrible time. She could have chosen not to have me, but she chose to have me. Several years later, she chose to give me to my grandaunt to allow her to raise me. This is a plug for adoption. This is a plug for foster uh, parents. This is a plug about how you can give birth to a child, but somebody else can, can, can receive the love of raising that child. That, that's what happened to me. 43 years later, I visited with my mother, my birth mom, and she was, uh, you know, she was a few months before her death. And she was back and forth thinking about, you know, she said, you know, maybe I should have kept you. And I said, oh, no, 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 mother. I said, you made the right decision. Let me tell you how the story ended. 
So because you made that decision, the youngest of your four children were the first to graduate from college, the first to go to graduate school because you've made that decision, that tough decision. I said, because you made that tough decision, the youngest of your four children was the first to get married and remain married and break the, 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 the cycle of divorce that is in our family. Come on. And now my older sister is, is a college grad and her kids are graduating from college. No, 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 no. Do the hard things and out of the hard things comes an amazing story. Amen. Give God a hand praise. 